You are listening to the sermon podcast of Redemption Chapel in Stowe, Ohio. For more resources and information, go to redemptionchapel.com. The story is told of a guy that was on a safari-like trip and came upon an elephant camp. I guess that's what they call them. But basically like all these big, huge elephants. And, and what's interesting is they were restrained just by time. You know how elephants have those like tree trunk-like legs, huge old, enormous animals. And they would just tie a rope around the leg and tie it to a tree. Which is really weird because, I mean, obviously the elephant is so big and strong. If you want it, just snap that thing, take off, right? But they're all staying right there. And the guy was really shocked and surprised. And there was a trainer there. And so he asked, like, how does that work? He said, well, here's how it works. Since they were calves, did you know baby elephants called calves? Turns out. Anyway, so since they were calves, uh, we, we tied their leg like that. And when they were calves, they, that rope was too strong and they were too weak and they grew up with that mindset. They grew up their whole lives believing the rope is strong and I am weak and therefore they stay right there. Even though they could easily snap it. You see, the rope was not what held them. What held them was a wrong perspective of strong and weak. And as we continue our journey through 2 Corinthians, remember this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the ancient church in Corinth. And the ancient church in Corinth is being fettered, is being bound by a wrong view of strong and weak. And and you'll see that. Let's jump into it here. Uh, We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For... You bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. A little divine sarcasm right there in the word of God. Got to like that. So what's going on? Remember, uh, the Apostle Paul is the spiritual father of this church that he planted. Then he left to go on more mission journeys. And when he left, these super apostles came in and started trying to take over things and run things. And these super apostles were very boastful about themselves. Now, that's that boasting strikes us as a little bit odd culturally. You got to know in their culture, not so much. Many in their culture did not believe in an afterlife. And so if you want to get your glory, you have to boast in the here and now, your accomplishments, and immortalize yourself in your boasted accomplishments. That was normal for them. So listen, we still boast today, right? We do one-upsmanship. Oh, really? That's nothing. Let me tell you what I did, right? Or we steer conversations back to ourselves, right? Like you're talking about you, but oh yeah, that reminds me about me. Let me tell you about me here. If you talk about your kids, Lord have mercy, I'm talking about my kids, right? So we do that, but we feel a little bit of shame about it. So we try to hide it. We try to be subtle with it and smooth with it. Not in their day. 
Not at all. They were very overt with it. Their culture was all cool with boasting. So it would be very normal if you go to somebody's house, that that person had had inscribed, engraved a plaque with all their accomplishments while they're still alive. They commissioned the work. They posted in their house in the entrance so that you read it on the way in. That was normal. Could you imagine if when you drove on the property today to come to worship service, there was this like 20-foot tall marble edifice out there that I commissioned, inscribed with all of Pastor Rick's accomplishments. How great Pastor Rick is. You laugh because in our culture, that'd be silly. In fact, can we be honest? That'd be really gross if I did that. I just want to be clear. That would be gross. Not in their culture. You see, we find it strange because when you hear boasting, you think bad. In their culture, they heard boasting, they thought good. Or at least neutral. Like It's like talking about eating food. Just eating. What's the big deal? Just boasting. What's the big deal? So Paul has his work cut out for him to build a new countercultural Christian ethic. He also needs to build a countercultural ethic, not only about boasting, but also about the view of strength. So these super apostles were like these quintessential, strong, messianic leaders. Think of the kind of person you want for a coach or a military commander, or a politician, like just strong leadership. And the church there is like, finally, we got our strong leaders in these super apostles. Yay, this is awesome. Now, there's nothing wrong with strength, even strength in leaders, so long as it is godly strength. But in this case, they were authoritarian, arrogant, aggressive, even abusive. I mean, if you look in the passage, it says they were devouring, which means they were consuming resources from the Christians, from the church to set themselves up. They were devouring them. They were taking advantage of them, putting on airs. And then it says they struck them in the face. This is not metaphoric. This probably literally happened. In there, It wasn't like a fight. It wasn't to cause damage or harm. It was to show dominance. Back in their time, to show that you're a strong leader, you you exert that, but you can slap in the face an underling. Okay? Just imagine that happening in a church setting. And Paul's like, are you kidding me? So you see, what's going on here is actual abuse. This is not relational conflict. This is not loving church leadership addressing the sin in some congregant's life. The congregant is ticked off and unrepentant, unhumble, and leaves and and claims church hurt. That's not this. This is actual church hurt because it's real and it is going on. And so these super apostles, it says they made slaves of them. They were enslaving. These are not loving leaders. These are slave masters. Have you ever gotten frustrated watching somebody you love put up with a toxic person in their life, somebody, an abuser in their life? It's so abusive. And and the person that you love keeps making excuses why it's okay, why we should stay, why it's not a problem. And you're pulling your hair out, just saying, man, would you be wise? Would you please, please quit putting up with that foolishness? 
So side note, abuse is real. Abuse happens. Abuse is horrible. Abuse even happens among Christians in Christian contexts. And too often, for too long, the church has turned a blind eye toward abuse. And what Paul is saying is, listen, suffering is to be expected. He says it over and over throughout the New Testament. We'll get to it in our passage today. Suffering is to be expected. But, he's very clear, when you have an abuser inside the camp, it's not okay. We don't put up with it. We correct that. You don't put up with that. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, would you please wise, be wise and quit putting up with these fools. Paul is their spiritual father. Remember, he has betrothed them to Jesus Christ. But the church is kind of stepping out on Jesus. It's got these fake lovers now. And and what Paul's realizing is these fake lovers, they're abusive. They're abusing his daughter and he loves, and he's like, man, stop putting up with that. It's killing Paul's heart. Why would they put up with that? Well, in part, it's because of a twisted view of strength and weakness. They're an elephant being fettered to a tree. They love these strong leaders. And so what they're saying to Paul, if you catch, they're saying, hey, Paul, why aren't you strong like our current leaders? Like our current leaders hit us. You never hit us, Paul. You're so weak. Paul's like, do you hear yourself? Are you kidding me? Oh my, to my shame, I was too weak to be an abuser to you. Sorry we never abused you. And that's the sarcasm in the letter. They are like an elephant, tied to a tree, fettered not by the rope, but by their view of strength and weakness. They don't understand true godly strength. They prize worldly, twisted, fallen strength. And so they are fettered. They are captured. They're not free. They are slaves. Paul doesn't like it. Now, one thing to note is both worldly strength and godly strength have a similar word. There's strength in both of them. How can you tell which is the good strength and which is the bad strength? We see worldly strength in leaders, uh, what happens is they use their strength to take, to usurp, to hook themselves up. A godly strength leads you to give, even to the point of the leader suffering. In fact, that's one of the ways you can tell. The question is, who's suffering? When it's worldly strength, the leader is a slave driver and the followers suffer. When it's godly strength, the leader suffers in order to bless the followers. That's one of the way you, you know. And therefore, the leader, the godly leader, looks weak. And we'll see that in a bit. That's true of Paul. He will look weak, and he's okay with it. So that's one reason. Another reason they're putting up with these authoritarian, abusive, aggressive, arrogant leaders. Why? Because of insecurities, low self-value, fear, misplaced expectations. Like if if we don't put up with it, we won't get anything better. This is what I deserve. Um, I can't trust God that he'll provide a better person in my life. And instead, what if we looked in that moment to the sovereignty of God and said, God is on his throne and is able to take care of me. 
And therefore, we let God define true strength and true godly leadership. And so we shoot for godly strength in our own lives, but we also insist upon it in our relationships and among our leaders. That might be a better route to go, but that's not where the Corinthian congregation was. All right, so all I've been covering so far is really at the back end of that part of our passage right there. At the top end, one of the things you'll notice, Paul says, this is foolishness. I'm about to be foolish. He says, since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. What that means is now the gloves are coming off. You've pushed Paul a little bit too far. You know that scene in in many movies or shows? You got that expert martial artist, gunslinger, And the dude doesn't want to fight, knows he can decimate his opponents, doesn't want to fight, wants to leave it alone. But they push and they push and they push and they push you. And now he has to fight and decimates them. Okay? Kind of like Reacher. Any Reacher fans? Here you go. Watch this. Hey, mister, why don't you come here? We want to talk to you. No, you don't. (laughs) No, you don't. Hey, come here. We just want to talk to you. Heard you got arrested for murder. What kind of bull you bring into our town? There's two Sixers worth of empties around your car. You've been waiting a while. And since this isn't the most exciting spot in town, I gotta assume you've been waiting for me. Let me guess. Rich guy in a fancy pickup put a 50 in each of your pockets to take care of me? Honored. Right. Well, it's the wrong day to ask me to humor your bull. Hey, we're talking to you, man. Oh, Graham, you idiot. You're about to get your kicked. No. I'm just going to break the hands of three drunk kids. <laughs> There's four of us here. One of you's got to drive to the hospital. That's a great line, right? One of you's got to drive to the hospital. And I, I, some of you are like, keep showing it, man. I'd love to watch it with you. Some here wouldn't like it as much as the rest of us, okay? So we'll, we'll just pause there. But what does it? He kicks their butts, breaks three hands, and the fourth kid's like, I, I know how to drive the hospital. <laughs> and so he, he, he lets him take his friends to the hospital. Here's what I'm saying. Paul is reacher. Paul is absolutely reacher. He doesn't want this fight. He doesn't want the boastful competition thing. Don't make me do it. Don't make me do it. And then they push him too far. Now he has to do it. Why though? Why? Here's the thing. He won't boast in order to serve Paul. That would be worldly strength. But he's going to boast in order to serve them. That's godly strength. And it's all about motive. Motive is very key here. Let me be very clear. When I boast, the motive is to raise up worshipers unto Rick. That's why I would boast. When Paul is boasting here, what he is doing is protecting worshipers of Jesus. It's very different. Remember, Paul's authority as an apostle is being called into question. But his authority as an apostle is linked to the fact that he received the gospel from Jesus, and that is the hope of the church. So he has to defend it in order to protect the church. And so it is reacher time. 
And here's where we pick it up in verse 21. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labor and labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That's not like issue two. It's a different kind of stone. That's like with rocks and it hurts. Okay, that's different, right? Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from Other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? It's quite a list. And if you notice, Paul starts out with the religious resume stuff. And he's like, man, I can go blow to blow with you on that if you want. But Paul quickly shifts off of that and gets into the counting thing. Five, three, one, forty, whatever. Like, what's going on there? Scholars believe the Apostle Paul is giving a parody of something written by Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus in Paul's day would have been the quintessential strong leader, worldly strength. And remember, their culture is totally cool with boasting. So what Augustus did is he had engraved on bronze pillars around Rome Basically like all his great stuff. And then it was written down and sent to the provinces as well. And I'll give you a little sniff of some of it. You'll see the counting thing. Twice have I had the lesser triumph, three times the full curule triumph. 21 times I have been saluted as imperator. 55 times has the Senate decreed a thanksgiving unto the immortal gods. Nine kings, or children of kings, have been led before my chariot in triumphs. He goes on and on. You hear the counting? It sounds a lot like what Paul... Paul is giving a parody. He's mimicking. And yet, and yet when Paul starts counting things up, did you notice it's not triumphs? Like, it's not a lot of good stuff. It's really hard stuff. Scholar D.A. Carson said, if, if Paul wanted to boast about his accomplishments, it could have sounded like this. I have established more churches. I have preached the gospel in more lands and to more ethnic groups. I have traveled more miles. I have won more converts. I have written more books. I have raised more money. I have dominated more councils. I have walked with God more fervently and seen more visions. I have commanded the greatest crowds and performed the most spectacular miracles. 
aren't I some? Yet that's not the route he went. Yes, he mimics Caesar Augustus, but then he gives this catalog of his weakness and his suffering and his hardship, making him look not like an impressive, strong, worldly leader, but making him look weak. One guy called this Paul's hall of shame. And, but what's going on is Paul is showing strength through weakness, and in that he kicks their butts. Why? Because even though Paul could match or exceed their religious resume, he's saying that's not true strength. That's not what God values. And so he doesn't do it. You can see this in two different kinds of military veterans. If you think about the officer in his dress uniform, you know when they get like that colorful, there's all the badges and ribbons and all that, it's like a rectangle. It's uh, referred to as fruit salad because it's so colorful. And so he's got his fruit salad on. But this guy has never seen combat. And over here you have a, a vet who's an amputee, lost his leg, tons of scars, right? The super apostles are saying, hey, look at me, look at my fruit salad. And Paul's over here saying, look at my scar. Which one do you respect more, right? Unfortunately, we don't often go that way, though. Because you know what we tend to respect in our world? Here's the things we tend to respect. Wealth, success, status symbols. We respect power and influence and followers. We respect beauty and gifting and intellect. And that's what they respected back in ancient Corinth, but that's what we respect today. They adopted worldly strength, and so do we. But it's even worse when we respect that in our religious leaders. And so today we have uh, guys preaching health and wealth and prosperity gospel leads to preachers and sneakers. By that, I don't mean chucks. I mean like these guys are wearing like $2,000 sneakers to preach in. They have mansions and jets and all that. And it's so easy for us to throw shade at them because that's a caricature and we can go, well, that's not us and aren't they idiots and we're, we're great. And, and yet we value church size. How many books has a guy written? And how many followers does he have on socials? We value wealth and success and status symbols and power and influence and followers and beauty and gifting and, and intellect. And so what we have accepted is this mindset right here, that success equals the anointing of God. Success equals anointing. And Paul's going to say, no. No, no. Here it is. Suffering equals anointing. Suffering equals anointing. Now, if Paul's correct about that, let me ask you a question. Do you want the anointing of God on your life? Look at the equation. (laughs) Look what it says, people. Do you want God's anointing? You understand, muscle grows because you stress it beyond its ability. It gets these micro tears in it. As it heals, it grows bigger and stronger. Muscle grows by stress. And then what we want is we want comfort. What we actually want is true Weakness, because we don't understand the equation. Worldly strength leads to true weakness. 
Godly weakness leads to true strength. Okay, let me say that again. Worldly strength leads to true weakness, but godly weakness leads to true strength. And that's God's program. And we spend so much energy trying to avoid it. Come on now. You understand, the path of God, like serving Him, loving Him, developing godly character, biblical character, the path of God is littered with suffering. Suffering. You want to know Jesus? You want to serve him? You want to love him? You want to walk with him and grow to be like him? Then you will suffer. And we don't like that. And so we say no to that. We try to avoid it, but we're avoiding biblical Christianity. Don't kill the messenger. That's biblical. And I'll tell you what, some Christians around the globe are actually getting it right now. They, They understand it. There are Chinese brothers and sisters This is a clip I've shown before, but it's just so good. I want you to see it again. You'll get what I'm saying. Watch this. We go to China from time to time, and and uh, uh, we train leaders. And this time we brought up 22 leaders from the Hunan province, and they rode 13 hours on a train to get to a hotel that they came up two by two in these elevators so as to not draw any attention and then they got to a hotel room, a little apartment uh, room. It's only about 700 square feet in the little living room, no air conditioning, hardwood floor, 22 sat there. I came in, and when you teach in China, you start at 8 in the morning, and you don't get done till 5 at night. You teach the whole day. They were sitting there, all 22 of them, and I looked around, and I said, now, if we get caught, what will happen to me? They said, oh, you'll get deported in 24 hours and we'll go to prison for three years. I said, you're kidding. How many of you have been in prison for your faith? Out of 22, 18 raised their hands. I thought, no way. Well, after three days, you fall in love with these people. And when it was done, I said, how can I pray for you? I'm going to go back to America. You guys have been just so wonderful. How can I pray for you? They said, you know, Wayne, you guys can gather like this whenever you want to in America. We can't. Could you pray that one day we'll be just like you? And I looked at him and I said, I will not do that. Big incredulous eyes looked at me and they said, why? (laughs) I said, because you guys rode a train for 13 hours to get here. In my country, if you've got to drive more than an hour, people don't come. You sat on a wooden floor for three days. In my country, if people have to sit more than 40 minutes, they leave. You sat not only here for three days on a hard wooden floor, but you did it without air conditioning. In my country, if it's not padded pews and air conditioning, people don't often come back. In my country, we have an average of two Bibles per family. We don't read any of them. You hardly have any Bibles, and you memorize them from pieces of paper. I will not pray that we become like, uh, you become like us, but I will pray that we become just like you. That's biblical Christianity. They live it. They get it. And may we be more like them. 
This is why I'm not freaking out that uh, America is becoming more and more post-Christian. Bring it. We might end up with real Christianity in our country. We might end up being more like our Chinese brothers and sisters. You see, we've grown soft. We've come to expect comfortable Christianity. Cultural Christianity. Doesn't cost me anything Christianity. Makes me temporarily happy Christianity. God is my cosmic butler that gets me what I want Christianity. And may we become more like them. Because you understand, God could change the world through those Chinese brothers and sisters. I don't know if he could do it through us. May we become more like them. Because they understand strength through weakness. They understand the role of suffering. You see, this is not just about what we look for and respect in our spiritual leaders. This is about what we look for and expect in our own lives. Talking strength through weakness. And I'll tell you what we've been talking about so far this morning. The very first part of the passage that I gave you was about abusive authorities or loving leaders. That was the question on the table. Now we've been talking about religious resumes or suffering servants. And there's one last bit of the passage ahead of us, and it's haughty or humble. Haughty or humble. And and here it is starting in verse 30. It says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Did that seem weird? I mean, like if you think about the passage, like Paul lands with that, like that was a weird, that's kind of how he wraps up this section. Like that was a really weird ending. What is that? Well, look in verse 30 at the top there. He says... I'll boast in the things that show my weakness. And so what he does is he gives an example from the very beginning of his ministry. This is right after he became a Christian. He starts his ministry and and he is truly representing the gospel of Jesus to a hostile world. And as he does, he's getting shady. He's even getting persecution. And so he's in this city And Paul cannot win them over with his impressive oration and rhetorical skills. Wouldn't that be a great story? Yeah, I went into that city. They were against me, but I convinced them and everybody came to Christ. That's not the story. He can't win them over. He can't even stand and fight. He can't protect himself. He can't even escape on his own. He's got to be lowered in a basket. Just imagine the scene. What a wimpy, weak, pathetic, pitiful image of Paul. And what Paul does is broadcast that. Puts it in the eternal word of God that everyone might know this is what Paul's like. (laughs) That's what he boasts in? It's like, Paul, you know, the these super apostles are calling you weak. Dude, you're playing into their hand. He's like, yeah, that's because their game is complete crap and I won't play it. And that's the point. That's the point. 
Again, this is right at the beginning of Paul's ministry. And his point is, is to say, that's how I started. And it's been like that. I've been weak ever since. Now note this, Paul wasn't always weak. <laughs> See, before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, remember Paul's story. He was a very worldly strong Jewish religious authority. He was used by the Jews to persecute Christians, to beat them, imprison them, and even have some of them murdered. Paul knew strength. And he said, you know what? It wasn't pretty. And that's not who I want to be anymore. That's as a Christian or as a leader. So what, what changed for Paul? He met the suffering Savior on the road. And and what I'm hoping happens this morning, like Paul, I hope you meet the suffering Savior and you become more like Jesus. You understand that what we preach in the gospel is a suffering Savior. Yes, Jesus Christ will come back in power and in glory, but that's not how he came at first to a fallen, broken world. He came as a weak, tiny Crying, dependent baby. Born in a stinking stable. Born to an unwed teenage mother who was betrothed to a poor carpenter. They would then have to escape town and become refugees in another country. And then he would grow up. He would be mocked. He would be scorned. He would be beaten. And then crucified. That's your Lord. In fact, chapter 13, verse 4 says of Jesus, it says, for he was crucified in weakness. He was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. That is strength through weakness. And he is our Lord and we are his followers. So what in the world gave us the idea that life for us will be about worldly strength? How did we get to that? Instead of a life of humility, weakness, suffering, serving, giving, loving, just like our Lord. It's funny. We, we, what we want sometimes, we want these strong, impressive, messianic leaders. Time out. Did you just hear what I said? I use the term messianic. We misuse that all the time. Like, You understand, most Jews rejected Jesus as their Messiah. Why? Because they wanted a worldly strength kind of Messiah who would kick the Romans out of their city and their their country and establish a strong earthly kingdom. But that's not what they got. They got a suffering Savior and they said no. But we said yes. We said yes. And I'll tell you what. If you think about Jesus, Jesus, in terms of worldly strength, it it sounds heretical, but you just got to hear, in terms of worldly strength, Jesus is just not that impressive. He was killed. In a sense, he was defeated. And the worldly strong leaders won. And then his followers are scattered and persecuted. And in terms of strength, he's not that impressive. But in terms of true strength, in terms of godly strength, in terms of strength through weakness, he's the Lord in all his glory. And we're supposed to follow him. 
Strength to weakness. The Jews said no, we said yes. And so could we be more like the Apostle Paul? Could we be more like our Chinese brothers and sisters? Could we be more like our Lord Jesus? It's the path, listen, it's the path to true strength, to true life. It's strength through weakness. Notice it's not weakness through weakness. The goal is, in the end, is our blessing. This is the best life. Do you think Paul regrets his choices right now? Do you think our Chinese brothers and sisters regret their choices? No way. If we're not careful, I think we might regret our choices. If Jesus comes back and we're some big, strong elephant tied to a tree because we're loving worldly strength, we got this wrong view. Man, what I want for you, I love you, I want you to live free. I want you to snap that stupid old perspective rope and I want you to live free. Not aggressive, not arrogant, not abusive, not authoritarian, but we, we would be people who think this week, how are you going to live humbly? How are you going to live loving and giving and serving and just laying down your life? Because that's what we're called to as disciples of Jesus. Go live free. Let me pray for that. Father God, thank you for our suffering Savior who suffered on our behalf that we could live free. But then we got to admit, Lord God, having become your children, we've got eternal freedom coming our way and yet right now we still live as slaves tied to a tree thinking the world's strength and the world's values has something to offer us. Instead of taking our place with our suffering Savior, with Paul, with our Chinese brothers and sisters and living out true Christianity, biblical Christianity, true strength, godly strength, true life. God, would you please take us there? And I pray for that in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redemption Chapel. Go to redemptionchapel.com for more resources and information.